give a special thank you to Dr. John Duke Anthony. Dr. Anthony has been one of the most active proponents for bringing people who care about this region together, not just through this conference, but all the time. And the leadership that he and the council have displayed have really helped bring together the U.S. and the Arab world, particularly the Arabian Gulf. The great programs that have been organized by the National Council, such as the Model Arab League and the Study Abroad programs, really help build very important bridges between the United States and the Arab world. When we talk about the Middle East, it's too tempting and too easy to focus on the challenges and on the problems. So I genuinely appreciate the Council's efforts to highlight the best of the Arab world and to encourage and to expose Americans to the very best of our culture, our people, and our leaders. It's incredibly important to show how we are building a more positive path forward for our future. And Dr. Anthony, I want to say this on behalf of everyone here, thank you. We are grateful for everything you and the Council does to build these bridges every day. Another very big thank you goes to our guest of honor, General Joe Votel, who I have the pleasure of introducing today. While Dr. Anthony focuses on the future and the best of our region, General Votel is very much in the present, taking on some of the biggest challenges in one of the most active AORs. From Sinai to Syria, Iraq to Afghanistan, ISIS and Al-Qaeda, IRGC and Hezbollah, he certainly has a lot on his plate and as you can see, there are no shortage of threats across the region. And this brings us to the U.S.-UAE Security Partnership, a partnership that is deeply rooted in common interests and shared priorities. It was formed by political leaders, but it's CENTCOM and DOD that have been the backbone of this relationship for decades. It's our two militaries that carry this relationship forward, working, training, fighting, side by side, and day by day. Over the past 25 years, the UAE has participated in six military coalitions alongside the U.S. Under CENTCOM, the UAE fought with the U.S. against the Taliban in Afghanistan. We were there on day one in disguise against ISIS, and we are together now in, in Yemen fighting al-Qaeda together. This partnership goes back a long way, as far back as the late 80s and early 90s, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, forged a close working relationship with General Norwin Shkorskov. It's actually more than a working relationship. They developed a friendship. And here we are, many decades later, where I have the privilege of introducing General Votel today. This partnership has made the UAE safer. It's made the region safer. But the point that gets overlooked far too often is that that partnership also made the U.S. safer. Now, of course, there's much more to do, and we still have to make much more progress, even despite our best efforts against al-Qaeda and ISIS. And as we do, another extremist threat has been gaining strength the entire time, and that's, that threat is Iran. We welcome President Trump's new strategy to address the full range of Iranian interference and destabilization. This includes its growing ballistic missile program, support for terrorist organizations, cyber attacks, interference in each other's domestic affairs, and threats to freedom of the navigation. The nuclear deal 
offered Iran an opportunity to engage responsibly with the international community. Instead, it only emboldened Iran to intensify its provocative and destabilizing actions. So in this latest challenge, the U.S. and CENTCOM can count on the UAE, along with other responsible countries, to meet the growing threat. And as we engage in these critical efforts, Emiratis sleep more comfortably knowing that U.S. forces under General Votel's command are helping to keep the region more secure. And Americans should also sleep more comfortably, too, knowing that General Votel has the full commitment from the UAE and allied forces helping to keep America safe. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming our keynote speaker and our friend, General Joe Votel. Assalamu alaikum. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, Your Highnesses, uh, Excellencies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and uh, speak with, uh, with you this afternoon. You know, you've really made it as a keynote speaker when you get selected to come and speak after a very heavy lunch. <laughs> that included a large salad, bread with butter, warm baked chicken on a bed with, covered in mushroom sauce, on a bed of warm mashed potatoes, and then a chocolate cake that had no less than six layers to it. So I know my work is cut out for me, and, or that you have great confidence in my ability to, to keep you going here this afternoon. But in any case, I'm, I'm very, very glad to, uh, to be here, and I, I sincerely appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to, to, um, to come here. Uh, your Excellency, thank you very much for the very, very kind uh, introduction, and, and more importantly, thank you for your your personal and your country's great partnership with, uh, with me and with the United States Central Command, and more importantly, with the United States of America. Uh, Dr. John Duke Anthony, sir, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, Mr. John Pratt, others here, thank you for the invitation to participate in this important conference with you today. I'm impressed by the accomplishments of all who uh, are here today, and especially our young people that had a chance to get up and talk, share their experiences with us, and, and I'm encouraged at the opportunity that events like this give us to discuss these issues and learn from each other. I've been in command at uh, United States Central Command for about 19 months now. Uh, and as all of you know, this is a 20-country area that uh, spans from Egypt to Pakistan and from Yemen to Kazakhstan. Uh, and it has a lot of challenges in this area. Uh, and uh, as, as you know, this has been a uh, an extraordinarily uh, important uh, important region for us. And in the 19 months that I've been there, I would share with you right up front here three key things that I've learned in my experience here. First and foremost, uh, the Middle East, the Levant, and Central and South Asia that make up uh, the Central, Central Command area remains an area of extraordinary importance to the United States. We have, we have had in the past, and we continue to have vital national interests that intersect in this particular area. So just as this has been an important area for us in the past, it remains an important area for us today in the present, and it will remain an, an important area for us in, in the future. And I want to assure you that as, uh, as a central command commander here, uh, that uh, I, this is a point that I emphasize to everybody that I speak with. The second thing I would just uh, share with you that I've learned in 19 months in this particular position is that Partners across the region want strong and progressive relationships with the United States. Without fail, 
every country that, I, that I've had the opportunity to visit, and I've been to virtually everywhere multiple times, uh, there are extraordinarily strong relationships and a strong desire to work closely between, bilaterally between our, our countries and multilaterally in, in, in a number of cases. And while we may have differences politically, uh, and we take the ups and downs of that, I'm very proud to tell you that our military-to-military -military relationships across the region have remained extraordinarily strong even through all of those ups and downs. And I'm very, very proud of the role that our military plays in sustaining these relationships. My third key point to you here uh, about what I've learned in this position is that there are more opportunities in this region than there are obstacles. And this is a very, I think, a very important thing for people to recognize. And I think it highlights the value of the council and the work that you do that is so important to us of exposing people to this region and allowing them to come and experience Arab culture, experience the countries, learn the language, get an appreciation for what is happening there, and then be able to share that with other Americans and other, others around the world. And I think this is a, an extraordinarily important aspect. And I do feel as a military commander here that as I look around, it's, it's very easy. There's no shortage of things to talk about in the Central Command region. You can pick Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or Yemen or the Sinai or any other areas that generally uh, uh, we have conflict in. But the fact of the matter is it is extraordinarily important to recognize that in, in all of this are great opportunities to move forward. And that's the key thing that I've, that I've learned about this. I really like the theme that has been introduced today, how best to navigate an uncertain present and future. And I think this is a very pertinent question here as we, as we look at this particular region. As the United States Central Command Commander, I've, I've often talked about this with my military leadership. And we've devised a very simple approach that we use in, in thinking about this region. And it can be encapsulated in three simple words, prepare, pursue, and prevail. And I'll talk a little bit about each of these. In preparing, we not only ensure our access and basing and appropriate arrangements with different partners in the area, but we also ensure that we have developed uh, strong partnerships across the region and that we've developed a level of understanding with granularity about the, about the, about the region, about the culture, about the challenges, and about the opportunities that exist for us. So first and foremost, our principal focus is on preparing. Second of all, we desire to pursue opportunities. We look for places where there are opportunities to move forward in supporting our national interests and the interests of our, of our valued partners in the region. And so we look actively for opportunities to pursue, uh, uh, to move forward and move forward in areas where we have common objectives. And then finally, we look for ways to prevail. We recognize that conflicts today don't normally end the way they ended in World War II with a parade down the middle of New York City. Uh, one of the most poignant pictures that I've seen lately has been a picture that was taken from Mosul here several months ago, and it showed Prime Minister Abadi uh, surrounded by all of his uh, security leadership in downtown Mosul, surrounded by the people. And as I looked at that, that's what prevailing looks like in CENTCOM. That's what winning looks like today. It's about our partners achieving their objectives and us being value to them. In 1789, George Washington wrote a letter to Mohammed bin Abdullah, the, at the time the Sultan of Morocco. Morocco, as many of you know, was the first country to recognize the United States as a sovereign nation. In his letter, he wrote, 
Within our territories, there are no mines, whether of gold or silver. And this young nation, just recovering from the waste and dissolution of a long war, has not, as yet, had time to acquire riches by agriculture or commerce. But our soil is bountiful and our people industrious. And we have reason to flatter ourselves that we shall gradually become useful to our friends. The United States has come a long way over the last 230 years, but the desire of the United States to be of importance and value to our allies and partners in the Arab world has not changed. This instance clearly shows that we treasure our long-held relationships, not only in North Africa, but specifically for me and the members of the United States Central Command in the Middle East. It also underscores that now, more than ever, we will need each other to face the many challenges and opportunities in front of all of us. What I'd like to talk with you about today is the perspective of a military leader on how he is approaching and how we are approaching the concept of partnership in Central Command, area of responsibility, and more broadly, across the globe with many of our partners. It is an approach born of failure, lessons learned, and expenditure of national treasure, both by us, the United States, and by our partners. As many of you know, Central Command is leading a 62-member international coalition and conducting a campaign to defeat the so-called Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS. In both Iraq and Syria, we have largely used an approach that we call by, with, and through to achieve our military, humanitarian, and political objectives within the confines of our respective national policies. This means conducting military campaigns by employing and using and enabling partner maneuver forces with the support of U.S. enabling capabilities through a coordinated legal and diplomatic framework. And we employ this approach differently in both Iraq and Syria. In Iraq, we are conducting the campaign by supporting the Iraqi security forces with coalition intelligence, logistics, and lethal fire support through legal and diplomatic agreements with the government of Iraq and with all of our coalition partners. The number of coalition forces in the theater is relatively low and tailored to support the Iraqi security forces. The Iraqi security forces themselves have improved through this approach since the dark days of 2014. Operations in Mosul, as I've talked about just a moment ago, have freed millions of people from the chains of ISIS, and life has begun to return to the city. Recently, the Iraqi security forces, for the first time in their history, conducted simultaneous operations in more than one location. Recent operations in Talafar and Hawija, all, all projected to take weeks and months, were concluded in less than two weeks. Coalition resources did support them, but make no mistake that the security forces of Iraq were the lead the entire time. In Syria, we face a more complicated political and military environment in fighting ISIS. The United States does not have a policy which supports large-scale involvement in the Syrian civil war. Therefore, as the regime campaigns against the opposition to regain control of its territory, it must deal with ISIS along the way. Russia and Iran have uh, both have large-scale presence in Syria and are operating at the Assad regime's invitation, leading to a congested operating environment and inflaming an already complex political situation. 
the Defeat ISIS campaign in this environment has a much different character. Although Russia, Iran, and to an extent the Syrian regime all want to remove ISIS and its influence from Syria, each actor has varying degrees to which they are willing to tolerate ISIS presence. And they all have different interests and objectives in the long term. The coalition, on the other hand, has the sole objective of military defeat of ISIS. In some parts of the country, the dynamic has led to a case of converging forces as the battle space condenses, but diverging interests among those fighting in this, in this congested area. Since we could not partner with the Syrian regime's armed forces, we chose to support an organization called the Syrian Democratic Forces, again, in a by, with, and through construct. In this case, it means employing Syrian Democratic fighting forces with coalition assistance through a coordinated framework. They are an indigenous Syrian organization, equally represented by Syrian Kurds and Syrian Arabs, who have created a framework of operating cooperatively with the coalition. The establishment of civil councils as a result of this arrangement, made up of uh, Syrian civic leaders from the local area, once that an area has been cleared of ISIS, has aided in alleviating governance concerns from the local population. By and large, this approach is working well and has facilitated the reintroduction of local control and the return of displaced persons to their homes. Another partner uh, with whom we are conducting a by, with, and through approach, as you heard mentioned, is the United Arab Emirates as we operate together in Yemen. The U.S. and the UAE share the common national interests of eradicating terrorism, and in this case, terrorism at the hands of al-Qaeda and ISIS. And we have adapted our approach here so the U.S. advisors, and in case, some cases our enabling capabilities, work with Emirati forces as they employ a very successful by, with, and through strategy with Yemeni counterparts. This hybrid approach works well, supporting our counterterrorism objectives, but reinforcing a local approach and, more importantly, local ownership over the solution. And that is the goal local solutions to local problems, and U.S. assistance where and when our national security interests are affected. As I briefly touched upon while discussing Syria, countering the influence of outside state actors as we work by, with, and through our local partners remains a complex dynamic in this region. Specifically, Iran has exerted its influence in a few different ways which require U.S. and coalition forces to adjust our methods. Iran's expressed desire to build larger influence, both literally in developing the Tehran-Beirut uh, access and figuratively by increasing military and political influence in places like Syria, Yemen, Iraq, and other places around the region, causes concern among our numerous Arab partners in the region. In this light, we are keen to use a by, with, and through approach to address Iran's manifest malign behavior with our partners, both in and outside of the region. So why does this approach work? Why does by, with, and through work? As I mentioned, it allows the U.S. to assist allies and partners in the region without requiring a national policy that, allows, that requires a large-scale deployment of forces. This approach also enables local actors to address local issues, encouraging local ownership of the solutions and capitalizing on the much deeper understanding of regional dynamics that only our local partners can have. 
There are, however, numerous challenges associated with this approach. It's not free. On occasion, a partner might not conduct their operations in the same manner that the U.S. or a coalition partner might. In such cases, we'd have to do our best to either understand the reasons why or let our, par our partners know our thoughts on other ways to accomplish the same objectives. But in the final analysis, those doing the fighting, the local forces, are calling the shots. There is also the dynamic of pace of operations. We are getting better at realizing that the operations will go at the pace of our partners, sometimes fast and sometimes slower. Whether it is slower or quicker than anticipated, our partners always have the lead. For example, just over the last weekend in the city of Raqqa, the Syrian Democratic Forces, on their own, halted co operations to include the coalition's support to them to allow more of the civilian population and a number of local ISIS fighters to surrender and evacuate the city. They, because of their cultural understanding, their deep tribal relationships, realized the importance of protecting the local population with whom they wanted to work once ISIS is defeated. And as I previously mentioned, there have been operations where the Iraqi security forces have uh, that the Iraqi security forces have conducted uh, that were completed much faster than the coalition forces would have anticipated. As these two examples highlight, in many, many other cases that I could cite to you, those of us who, who look to work closely with our regional partners must be prepared, agile and flexible for this eventuality. Why am I sharing all of this with you? Because for the foreseeable future, coalition campaigns and the approach of working by, with, and through our regional partners is absolutely key to how many of our common objectives will be accomplished. In fact, we internally to the U.S. Department of Defense are working to see what aspects of this approach should be included into our doctrinal, training, and force management systems. And many of our services, my service, the United States Army in particular, are taking measures now to develop forces that are specifically designed for this type of, uh, of warfare. One of the tasks at hand is to define the overall concept of by, with, and through in more refined language that lends itself to further development and discussion. And it's not just a military problem. By, with, and through applies to our diplomatic, our economic, our law enforcement partners as well. And so it is a comprehensive approach. Key to any definition of by, with, and through is the understanding that any support we give to partner forces must be through a coordinated legal and diplomatic framework. It is this framework that will form the legal basis for any action and provide guidelines for the employment of not only the partnered forces, but of course our capabilities. Additionally, we have to refine the term partner carefully and continuously. The relationship between the partner and the legal framework can spell the difference between success and failure at the strategic level, thereby directly supporting or potentially undermining any diplomatic efforts. There are also other numerous unsettled definitions that we will be working to define and several changes of policy that we'll need to explore in order to facilitate more effective execution of this approach of by, with, and through. And while much of the analysis is going on, we have had discussions about this approach at the highest levels within the Department of Defense and certainly with all of our partners. To me, the philosophy has always made sense, but now it is time to codify this approach. We owe it to our regional partners to be as clear as possible 
in what we mean when we say by, with, and through. I'd like to leave you with one final thought. At the time of George Washington's letter to the Sultan of Morocco, neither could have possibly foreseen our current strategic environment. The letter was a statement of commitment to become useful to our friends. The United States is now more powerful than it was back then and able to make good on some of its promises. And to the extent that I, in the United States Central Command, am able to help, we will. And as, I look, and as we look forward to the greater development of U.S.-Arab relationships in the future, we would do well to remember that a simple commitment between friends can be more powerful than violence, extremism, and oppression. Thank you once again for the invitation to speak with you this afternoon and sharing my thoughts with you. I trust that our partnership and friendship will continue to strengthen over time with all of our partners in this very important uh, region as we work together on these and other important issues. Thank you very much.